brought to you from Melbourne, Australia. This is the Badminton Podcast, a community for badminton players by badminton players, where we talk badminton, celebrate local heroes, interview players from all walks of life, and push you to grow as a player and a person. Introducing your hosts, Jeff and Henry. Hello, everyone out there in our badminton community. Welcome to another episode of the Badminton Podcast, which is a Volant initiative. For those of you who haven't heard of my voice before, my name is Henry and I'm the co-host of this podcast with my good friend and co-founder, Jeff. Our mission is to simplify the badminton journey so that we can show the world how incredible our sport is. So check us out at www.volantware.com. We're excited to be here on our way to releasing 100 episodes to all of you. But before we get started, we just wanted to thank you, the listeners, for making this podcast possible. Without you, there wouldn't be a badminton podcast. So thank you for continuing to listen and support us. So if you do enjoy the episodes we release, it would mean a great deal to us if you would support us at patreon.com slash the badminton podcast. We'll leave the link in the description below. Now, I'll pass on to my co-host, Jeff, to introduce our exciting guest for today. Thanks, Henry. So today on the podcast, we have Felix Brustadt. I think I said it correctly again. (laughs) Sorry if I didn't. Felix was recommended to us by Kestudis Navikis, who was a former guest on the podcast and a name that's been around in world badminton, especially in Europe for many, many years now. So Felix is a 25-year-old professional badminton player from Sweden and has a current world ranking of number 57 in the world in men's singles. He just recently competed at the Denmark Open in 2020, the first tournament back after the COVID lockdowns. He's been in Denmark for three years now, training at Hulbach, I think that's how you say it, at the Centre for Excellence. And he's competed multiple times at the European Games, World Championships, and is the Swedish champion. On more of a personal level, he's always looking to push himself to improve in badminton and in his life as a person, which is something that's come naturally for him since he was very young. So Felix, thank you so much for coming on to this episode of the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. So just if you've listened to the podcast before, what you would have found is that we spoke to Felix previously just about his experiences at the Denmark Open, the first tournament back, and how much we love the fact that badminton is back. So if you haven't listened to that episode, make sure you do tune into that. So before we get started here, just with regards to the referral, so Kestudis or Kestis has referred you and recommended you because he thought you'd be a fantastic guest on the podcast. What's your relationship with Kestis? Kestis has been very special and a big person in my uh, career, especially lately. He, he became my coach when I moved to the Center of Excellence in Holbeck over three years ago now, actually. And he was with me there for almost this full three years. Then he left the center now just before the COVID lockdown. He's helped me a lot, for sure. I came to Denmark when I was around 22, 21, 22. And I was around 120, 130 at the time on the world ranking. And during my uh, cooperation with Kestu, I went down to yeah top 60, something like that. So I think for sure we were doing something right in our cooperation. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. So Kestis, if you're listening out there, much love and thanks from Felix with your help. 
in his journey towards being a better badminton player every single year and every single day. But before we jump into the stuff that you're doing now, Felix, we'd just love to hear about where you began your badminton story, how you got involved and when was it that you started playing? Yeah, I started playing actually just by coincidence. There's no one in my family that's played badminton before. I think we just rented a court on a holiday once and I found it fun. I was maybe six, seven years old. And then when I came home from the holiday, there was a badminton hall 10 minutes by bike from our home. So I started practicing a bit. There was a very small city that I'm from, small club. So until I was maybe 11 years old, I just practiced two times a week and we only had the coach once a week. The other time we just played for fun. And then I think when I was around 12, I went to one of these a uh, little bit bigger national tournaments that was just around where I lived. And then I kind of saw that, for example, we had a national team on the 13, 15, and I just found this very exciting. And I wanted to try to be able to come up to their level. I wasn't the best at that time. So I just started practicing more. And I actually changed club when I was around 12 to a club that was 40 minutes away by train. And there I got the opportunity to practice a bit more, maybe four or five times a week. So I think that's kind of where my uh, journey began as a more professional-minded athlete or where I wanted to set my goals to become much better. Yeah, great. So Felix, take us back to when you were six or seven and, and you and your family rented the badminton court for the first time. What was it about badminton that one time that made you want to continue and, and actually found that court that was 10 minutes away from home? I think that I've always enjoyed the uh, sports. I've always enjoyed sports with the balls, you know, like football, basketball, uh, like many kids do when they're young. But badminton was a little bit different. You were holding the racket and you hit the shuttle over the net and you move at the same time. So I think that I just found it quite physical, you know, because you could just run after the shuttle and at the same time you need to hit over the net. So I think I just found it a bit funny. And then I tried it out and then uh, I thought it was more fun. So that's when I started to play more. And I guess when you were seeing the national players, I know that the different age groups, I think you're saying under 13, under 15, et cetera, the national team train, was that your motivation? Like, was it you wanted to be like them or were you looking at different players? Were you looking at international players and wanting to be like them or was it those players that gave you most of the motivation early on in your career? I think for sure early on when I was around that age, it was the national team players that gave me the motivation that I wanted to be as good as them. I've always kind of had the mindset that I wanted to be the best or push to be the best I could be. So at this time, I was the best one in my club, the small club. And then all of a sudden, I went to this big tournament and then I saw I was not close to being the best. And there were so much possibilities within the sport with the national team or to go travel. But at this time, I didn't think at all about international level really because I didn't really know. I didn't know so much about what was badminton or how did it look on a bigger stage. I just saw these players and I could see that they were better than me and then I just wanted to try to be as good as them, if not better. Yeah, so you've referred to being the best or being better than them a couple of times now, Felix. What kind of barriers or challenges did you have to overcome to get to, to, get to their level and certainly above them now? I think that as I was coming from this small club, if I wanted to improve to their level, I needed to learn quite early. 
to do all the extra work myself and to go out running myself or do footwork myself. Or later on, I also had a brother who started playing. He's two years younger than me. So I would always try to get him to the hall and play a little bit extra with him. And many of the other, I remember the national team players, they had maybe club practice four or five times a week. And we only had it two times a week with the coach once. So I really needed to do a lot of extra work myself. But I think it also helped me a lot because I needed to think myself also. I didn't really always had the one in the early age who told me what to do. So I needed to, to find those ways myself. And I think that has really helped me later on in my career. Yep. So when you talk about finding those ways over those barriers and didn't have that good access and you had to do a lot of footwork and things yourself, was there someone who provided you the guidance for that? Or did you just do that yourself? So was there a club coach that told you you should try to practice this at home? And was there help as well? Yeah, when I was around this age, there was a coach coming who helped the club once a week. He was coming from this bigger club, Halmstad, it's called in Sweden. He came once a week and he could kind of see that I wanted to practice a lot and wanted to push a lot. So he asked me if I wanted to come one time a week to his club and practice with him. So I started that way and then he started to guide me and I trusted him and he told me what to do when I didn't have the trainings in the club. So I, for sure, I followed his advice and then maybe one year after I moved the club completely to his club and then I was practicing more with him, yeah. And what age were you then when you decided to move the club? 12, 13. Yeah. yeah. And yes, yeah, so take us from there. So when you moved the club, 12, 13, you wanted to train a lot. What else happened during your junior days? So yeah, I started to practice more. I realized that there was this big national circuit for the best players. So I needed to qualify for that. I think in the last year, so it was in the end of my under 13 year. So I must have been 12, yeah. Then I qualified for that so I could go into that circuit. So I, when I started under 15, I could go into this circuit and maybe it was the best 15, 20 best players in Sweden that could join this circuit. So I started to play there more and more, practice more and more. And then I think I reached the quarterfinals, the nationals first year under... No, I didn't actually. Last year under 15, I was in the semifinals in singles. And then when I won last year under 17, then I won the nationals. It was during this time, last year under 15, that I kind of joined the national team. I played my first international tournament in Danish Junior Cup, but I wasn't the best on the team, so I didn't really play much. I think I lost the first round also in the individual event. But so I think it was more under, under 17 where I started to, to make a bit better results. Also, when I played the Danish Junior Cup, I think I reached the quarterfinals, beating some decent players. So I think that was also natural for me that I kind of had my development a little bit later on than some other some, than some other players, yeah. And then from 17, 19, yeah, then I won also the junior championships under 19. And then I, uh, when I turned senior, I just wanted to continue and keep doing my best to improve at the high international level. And from that junior level, Felix, when you did move to, I will try to pronounce this club, Humstad Club, when you went to the Humstad Club, from that junior period where you know ultimately won some tournaments, were you still guided by the same coach that initially found you when you were around 12? I was still uh, guided by him, yeah, but I moved actually again when I started the gymnasium. So when I was 
15 years old, I moved to Malmö. So it's a big city in the southern part of Sweden. And I started a sports college or sports gymnasium. I was practicing there and going to school there, but I was still a member of my club with this uh, hamster club. But then I actually got another coach, yeah, that for sure also helped me a lot and guided me a lot. And I could practice with other players that were the best at their age in Sweden. So I think those were also the years that helped me a lot to grow as a player when I was under 15, 17, also under 19. Great. So after that transition from juniors into seniors and you decided you did want to keep playing, you did want to play professionally. I know that you did when you were 22, I think you said you went to the Center for Excellence in Denmark for training. Between the juniors, say from 19 to 22, so you were still based in, in Sweden at the National Center. Is that right? Actually, no. We had a National Center in Uppsala. So this is where the players like Henry Hurskan and Matthias Borg, we also had a few others, they were practicing there. Uh, and when I quit the gymnasium, sports gymnasium in Malmö, I was asked to go there. But I decided to stay in Malmö. And I think maybe looking back, I could think that I maybe should have dared to go to Uppsala at that time and learn from the best Swedish players at the senior level. At this time, maybe I was number four or five in Sweden at the senior level. But I had a good setup in Malmö. They were giving me a lot of attention. I could also find a ways to work a bit on the side and still practice full time. And I didn't really know how that would work if I moved up to Uppsala at the National Center. So yeah, looking back, maybe I should have dared to take that step, but that's how it is in life. You never know what would have happened if I did that. So uh, yeah, I think it was still good to stay in Malmö. Yep. Yep. Okay. So you stayed there until you were invited to the Center for Excellence. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, I started also playing for a Danish club. That was also one of the reasons why I wanted to stay in Malmö because it was close to Denmark. So I started to play for a Danish club. There were also three, four other Swedish players from Malmö who played for this club. And also my coach from the gymnasium, he was the head coach in this Danish club. So it was quite easy for me to go there. And I really enjoyed the atmosphere in the club in Denmark because the sport is so much smaller in Sweden. It was much more of a community and you had a lot of friends and stuff in the Danish club. That was also important for me at this time to have the friends and, and have the fun in it. But I think also for sure when I later on decided to move to Holbeck and for example, I met Kestudis as my coach, I got a more professional uh, mindset. I really needed to to push and really believe in that I could do it and not only play for fun. I still, when I was in Malmö, I still played for practice and pushed for being the best I could be. But there was a lot of distractions, maybe more than just, I had a little bit of work on the side. I was playing the international tournaments. I was seeing a lot of friends. I think when I went to Holbeck, I learned a bit more to be 100% dedicated in ways that I wasn't before. And I think that's something that helped me a lot. What was it about some of the advice that Kestudis gave you that helped you develop that professional mindset, Felix? Many things, but for sure, one big thing was that uh, I also struggled a bit when I was coming from juniors up to seniors with some injury problems. I'm quite a tall guy, quite skinny, not super strong, so I always had to work on that. I got some problems with my knee. Kestudis obviously also had some experiences from injuries. So he helped me a lot to manage my body and to really understand how important it is. Because, I mean, we, if you're a professional athlete, you kind of live on your body. If your body is not working well, then there's not much, so much you can do. 
So I learned to take a lot of time, my daily routine, and just get into those habits of always doing a good warm up, always cooling down, have a good cool down, eat good, sleep good. All these things that I kind of think you, you really need to have as a basic habits in your daily routines. Because if you don't have this, then I don't believe that you're able to compete at the highest level in the world. So to have this base, to learn these basic habits, I think was a big thing for me. So Felix, just listening to the story here, it sounds like there was maybe three, you, I might be wrong, but just from the story there, there's three main coaches that had really helped you. So the one when you're in a junior and then I can't remember where the locations were, sorry. And then when you moved to, I think it was the, the new club, then there was a coach there that really helped you. And then, of course, Kestudis that really helped you as well. So three coaches that have really helped to shape your badminton journey and badminton career so far. So other than the advice that they actually give, so hold your racket like this, do footwork like this, what about them made them such good coaches? Like was there a certain way that they called upon you to take action or to motivate you or push you? Yeah, was there something particular about them? No, I always liked that the coach is there to put demands on the players or to be a bit tough in a way. You know, I think it's okay if you want to call yourself a professional athlete or saying that I want to push for the top in my sport, then I kind of need to stand behind those words as well. It doesn't make sense to say those things if I'm not doing all the right things. But sometimes you also need the guidance. So you need to have the guidance and the understanding from the coach but then it's also important that the coach can call you out when you're not doing this because otherwise you cannot really learn, I think. Yeah, it sounds like they've helped drive that congruence, I suppose, between what you say you want to do, you know, be a great player and the actual behavior or activity that follows that as well and just making sure that you are accountable for that as a player when you're striving to achieve some of your big life goals, professional badminton goals. Now, talking about I guess your professional badminton goals and what are some of your most fondest memories or your best badminton achievement to date? I'm sure there will be more in the future. <laughs> Let's hope so. Uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, playing the European Games in the Minsk. Was it last year, 2019? That was my first multi-sport event. And I think that was a really nice experience to be on the tournament for that long, you know, to play one match. And then, you know, the next day you played another one, the next day you played another one, and then you advanced to the playoffs. And this was also the longest tournament over days that I've played. So I advanced from the group, and then I uh, won my first round in the playoffs against Pablo Abian in a very, very long, close uh, three-game match. And then I lost in the quarterfinals, also in a three-game. So I actually had a, a decent chance to get a medal. But I think that this was a really nice experience and it's one of the memories I have so far that I look back to and really enjoy thinking about. Yeah, fantastic. And it sounds like all of that hard work has really paid off and he's continuing to pay off. And I can tell by your responses that you are definitely a fan of hard work and you do really believe in it. When you were talking about it before, I just remember the quote by Conor McGregor, the UFC fighter. And I think he was talking about hard work and how he says that if he doesn't work hard, then it's kind of like a disservice or disrespect to all of those people who believe in him. I remember hearing that quote and thinking, wow, that is so powerful. It's such a different way to look at it. 
that hard work for him is just like a responsibility for him to do as a service. And if he doesn't do it, it's a disservice to the people who believe in him. For me, it's also a bit for myself. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm saying, or I'm, I'm talking to you guys and I'm saying, I really want to push to get to the top level of badminton, then it doesn't really mean anything if I don't put the work in behind those words. And also for all the coaches and people who helped me through the years. And I say the same thing to them and they put time into me. So in a way that's maybe, you know, the same as Connor is saying, but I think mostly it's about myself that if I want something, then I also need to work for it because otherwise I'm just fooling myself in a way. Okay. So now you're doing what you're doing. Can you give us a bit of an outline as to what that is? So I know that you're playing in the leagues, but are you playing in different leagues in Germany as well as Denmark and what's happening there? Yeah, right now I'm playing uh, in the Danish league for TSS. So it's Team Skanskörsleense. And then I'm playing for a German league as well, BSA Wipperfeld. So the plan was to qualify for Olympics. And now that has been postponed. <laughs> so let's see. Yep, yep. But yeah, I think last year I was playing around 15, 16 tournaments internationally and then playing the leagues, the league matches. So yeah, that's what I'm doing besides practice. Yeah, that match play must be very, very beneficial. Now, the differences between the Danish and German league, is there much difference? Like, is their structure different? Is the selection different? Is the atmosphere different? Do you get different things from either of the leagues? Now I only played my first year in Germany. So I only played my first league match now this Sunday. Oh, okay. Before I played in Sweden, in, in Denmark. So maybe it's a little bit early for me to say with the atmosphere, because now because of Corona, there hasn't been so many in the halls, but there's a different scoring system. We played to 11 in Germany, best of five games. Yep. In, in Denmark, we played to 21, so normal. And that's for sure a big difference. Very big, yeah. Do you have any particular thoughts about your strategy? Are you going to go hard attack? and? <laughs> yeah, it, these kind of questions you have to ask yourself. I think that I'm trying to just play the same game but I also, in a way, I really like to play to 11 because it's really challenging for you mentally. It's so much up and down and you can win one game 11-5 and then lead 3-0 and maybe you think that, okay, I have this under control, but then all of a sudden it switches so fast. Or you win two games and you only need another one. And then you lose 11-9, 11-9. And then all of a sudden, it's, uh, then you're in a position to lose again. So you really need to stay sharp in your mind and be ready all the time when you play to 11, which I think is a great practice. Yeah, it's almost like a different type of game just depending on the score that you're trying to get to, right? So Felix, regardless of whether it's to 11 or 21, to this day, why do you love playing badminton so much? I think I really like badminton because it's such a complex sport. There's so many things that you can develop all the time. As a professional athlete, you get to know yourself very well. You know your weaknesses, your strengths. You always need to evaluate what you're doing good, what you're doing bad. In badminton, there are so many things that you can work on. So it helps you understand yourself as a person and to grow as a person at the same time as you have to improve as a player. So I think for me, this is something that comes quite naturally, that I'm always thinking and evaluating and trying to be better. And at the same time as I'm doing that, I get to know myself a bit better, which is also important, I think. What do you feel are the most important things that you've learned about yourself during this journey? And 
if you went through the journey again, knowing these things, is there anything particular you would want to change? I'm not so sure. I think that that you have to try, you have to to dare to believe in yourself and to work towards your goals. And then you never know what's going to happen. But if you just work hard and you do your best, I believe that you always have the chance and you can always learn something on the way. So uh, sometimes it can be a bit worrying, especially as an athlete. If you don't do so well, then it's always not so nice. And if you do some good results, then you feel very good. But it's more about the learning experience and focusing on developing all the time rather than the results. So this is something I wish that I would have learned maybe a bit earlier age. So instead of if I lost when I was a little bit younger, I would be very disappointed and maybe just, you know, not practice for the first days after the tournament or I was very disappointing and pointed and sad. But instead of just trying to focus on, okay, what is that I can focus on now to help me? Instead of just repeating all these bad things in my mind. So I think professional sports is, is a great way to improve yourself mentally and in your mind to always focus on the things that actually matters or that can do something good for you. Because it's no sense to focus on things that, that it's not going to bring any good. So if you're going to break that down to after your match and maybe you haven't played well or you've lost the match there, and yet asking yourself those questions as to what you can do to be better. So you're asking yourself those constructive questions where the answers are going to be beneficial for you and not just negative and just saying that you're bad at this and you're bad at that. What questions do you feel that you ask yourself that are the most effective after a disappointing loss or disappointing performance? I think uh, for me, it's a good way to always think, obviously, what I'm doing when I'm playing. So this is the easy part to see what am I doing? What do I do when I win? What do I do when I lose? But then it's also, uh, at least for me, important to ask myself the question, why am I doing that? What am I thinking when I'm doing it? What am I feeling when I'm doing it? Because it's one thing to say that, you know, if I smash out three times close to the line and then I can say, okay, I make many unforced errors. But why am I doing that? How do I feel mentally when I'm trying to hit those lines? Maybe I'm stressed. Why am I stressed? What do I have to do then? So this is a way to get to know yourself, why you're thinking the way you're thinking in certain situations. And then how should you think in those situations instead to prevent yourself from being stressed or, or, you know, whatever it is. So I think it's important to look at the games and see what you're doing, but also to ask yourself why, why you're doing those things and how you're feeling when you're doing those things. Yeah. So would you say that you watch the video back and then when you watch the video and yourself doing things, because I guess you can't remember every single point and every single shot that you play, right? So do you watch the video back and then think, okay, what was I thinking then? Is that how you usually do it? Yeah. yeah. Or if I'm doing the video analysis and then I can see I'm doing something bad and then my coach asks me, how are you feeling at this stage? Or, you know, if I'm playing, for example, let's say when I was playing Jana, I was 19 all in the first set. Yep. So then before the game, when I did the Vina analysis, I knew that he's very good at spinning at the net and pushing from the net. So when it's 19 all, I'm a little bit thinking, okay, I have to be ready if he spins or pushes because that's what he does. And then at this point, he actually pushes out to my forehand and I make a mistake. So then I can be angry at myself going into the second game thinking oh, I should have been ready. I should have been mentally present and knowing that he should have done this maybe. So then when I get a really bad start in the second game, 
then I have to talk to my coach. Why is it that I get this bad start or how am I feeling mentally? And that can actually be that I maybe bring those feelings, disappointing feelings from the first set with me into mm -hmm. the second game. And that's why I'm playing bad in the beginning or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a conversation that you had with your coach post the match, Felix. Did you do a video analysis of your match and go through the emotions and try to understand how you're feeling at the time? Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what we do. Yeah. That's great. So when you start watching the match and you can recognize what you're doing, and sometimes there's a pattern to it, right? The same thoughts might come up, the same feelings might come up. So I guess there's one part where you're aware of what you do. But then how do you transition to being able to change it in the match? Because I guess when you are in the match and the heat of the moment and there's stress and there's everything happening, sometimes do you feel yourself falling into the same pattern, but then it's still hard, even though that you know you're going into the pattern, it's still hard to get out of the pattern. Do you find that? For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yep. For example, for myself, when I was younger, I always played very, very offensive game style. At all, I, I like to play the net and smash a lot. So, for example, sometimes if it's close, then I can easily fall into those patterns again. But then I always have to be aware. My opponent has also done the video analysis of me. So uh, I have to, you know, think about a lot of things. And sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes you fall into bad habits. But then it's just about getting out of those periods as fast as possible. Is there a special way that works for you or it's useful for you to get out of the pattern? Like, do you try to take a let or do you walk off the court or do you do anything when you know you're falling into the pattern and you're trying to get out? Oh, I think I try to take my time. As you said, it's a little bit different also from time to time. I think sometimes some things works and sometimes other things doesn't work. So to take a break, to maybe change the shuttle, sometimes even though it's maybe not 100% necessary, ask for a towel down or just sometimes it also works to just go a bit crazy or scream a bit and smash a lot, go very offensive. And then you find the rhythm again, maybe, you know, sometimes different things works, but you have to always try to find the answers, the situation. And that can be, that can be hard sometimes. And that's what I feel the good players or the more experienced players are, are so good at. But I guess that also comes with the experience. Yeah, and potentially you're still, I guess, I trying to identify what that process is for you if it was more methodical in terms of processes like, say, you're reviewing your match and trying to understand your emotions. Is there a particular process that you go through with your video analysis to try and identify what you don't know? Because essentially when you're going into this analysis, you're, you're probably thinking, okay, I'm aware that I lost at these certain points in times, but you're trying to uncover the emotions. You're trying to uncover the problems so that you can rectify them. Is there a particular process that you take when you do go through that analysis? Like Jeff said a bit, if you see the patterns of how you're playing. So if I come into a bad period or I play in a bad pattern or a bad period, I do the same things a lot. Then I kind of know that, okay, why am I doing this? Something is happening here. And then I have to figure out how I'm feeling mentally when I'm doing this and why I'm doing that. So I think it's so much about getting close to your emotions or your thoughts. Because, you know, you have a million thoughts in your head every day. But for some reason, some thoughts means more to you than others. I think it's quite important to be good at choosing yourself what you're uh, putting your energy into. 
I think by the sounds of it, Henry's asking for, say, what the things you would think about in the analysis. And the way I see it could be that it's a what first. So what did you do? So what did you do? I smashed it out three times in a row. And then the second question can be why. Why did I do it? And the reason is because it was getting tense and it was 19 all and I really wanted to win the point. I thought I had a good chance to win the set. And then I guess the third question is how were you feeling? And then you can think about, okay, I was feeling stressed. I was feeling this emotion. I don't know. I think that's what Henry is asking. Yeah, for. But I think for sure, yeah, that's the first question is, uh, you know, what, what did I do? Mm-hmm. And then the second question might actually be how I felt when I did it. And then it's, it's why, why did I feel that way? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it could be that I'm feeling stressed, for example, or I want to win the point, mm-hmm. but then it can be, why do you want to win the point? Yeah. So it can be, for example, uh, it's quite typical in situations if you're leading a bit and then the opponent is closing down on you on this gap and then you want to hit the winners. And then I'm thinking, okay, how do I feel? Yeah, I want to hit the winners, but then actually why? Because I'm still in the lead. So if you look at it as present time, I'm still in lead. But just because I lost a couple of points before, I'm feeling stressed. Then I'm just thinking about the previous points instead of thinking about this point. And I'm still at the lead in this time. So it's actually, the pressure is actually on him. He should feel pressured because he's down. Yeah. So I think in this order is the thing that works best for me. Yeah. Awesome. I think that's really, really good advice. So what, and then how are you feeling? And then why are you feeling that? It's good that you were able to articulate that process. Because yeah, exactly, Jeff. That's sort of what I was trying to get out of that question. Just so we can understand how you go through the process of identifying what went wrong and how to fix it. And potentially whether or not that framework can be applied in a court setting, obviously, as in the heat of the moment, that kind of process is it's hard to be able to do that between points, but just whether or not that could be something that is applied to your game when you are in those tough situations. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I think that's the million dollar question if being able to see it straight away as if you're watching yourself on the screen when you are actually in person. I think that's the the billion-dollar performance hack that we might uncover on this episode of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think for sure, I mean, I think at least from the experiences I've had so far, this is what the good players are so good at. And it's very hard to get into a good rhythm sometimes because they are always making you out of rhythm by changing the game a bit or taking the breaks at the right time. So if you have a good flow, then all of a sudden you lose your flow and you have to get back. If you lose a couple of points, it's easy for me to maybe sometimes feel stressed. I think if Shen Long played, he would not be so stressed if he loses three points. He will still be in the moment. So that's all up in the head. And why is that? So then you need to ask yourself those questions and get to know yourself and improve. That's awesome. So while speaking about Shen Long, that you just said, Felix, is there anyone in particular at the moment that you are watching a lot of or certain elements of someone's game that you would really like to adapt into your game in particular? I'm watching, if I'm watching, I'm watching a lot of Victor Axelsen or Shenlong because those are the guys who are kind of the same body type as me, the same height as me. So for me, it's interesting to see how are they moving, how are they playing, or maybe even how are they doing during this periods of the game So I think it's good to have an image for yourself or this player is something I should strive for playing as close as I can in terms of shot qualities or how you can play in terms of your physical 
abilities or or height, for example, in my case. Yeah, yeah. So, Felix, when you look at a player like Victor Axelsson or Chen Long, is there anything in particular that you've learned from their playing style specifically that you've been able to apply effectively to your own game? No, I think it's quite easy for me to see that they're much stronger physically than I am. So that's the first thing I need to realize that I have to really improve physically if I'm going to have a chance at this level. So I have to work on that. But then I also think these small things, especially with Shenlong, I think he seems to be good at handling the situations under pressure. He's obviously been around the tour for a long time uh, and has a lot of experience. Yeah. But I think it's very hard to tell on him when he's stressed. Sometimes you can even see some of the best players and you think maybe it looks like they don't care because they don't show as much emotions. But I think it's just their way of you know, showing the opponent that they're not stressed. Or they know what they're doing. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But if you lose yourself mentally and you become stressed or whatever, then it's always much harder to play. You lose track of your game plan or, or knowing what to do, then, then it's so much harder. So I think that's something they are really good at, for sure, something I need to be better at. Yeah, yeah. So Felix, we are going to start wrapping up this episode of the podcast. Now, do you feel that there's anything that we should have asked you but haven't? So is there something that you want to say or anything you want to add that we haven't actually talked about directly? Uh, No, I don't think so, no. Excellent, excellent. So the last thing we're going to ask you today on the podcast, Felix, is just you've already given a lot of advice with that framework. I'm going to call the framework already because it's I think it's so good. So the what, the how are you feeling and the why are you feeling that? But do you have any other advice for players out there who might be younger, who might be transitioning from juniors to seniors or don't have as much experience or just anyone out there who's looking to be better at their game. Do you have any bits of advice that you've learned to, that you've come across that's really helped you in your career so far? It's a hard question, but I think that I'm not in any way, you know, I'm far from being uh, one of the best players in the world. So I'm not the best to answer these questions. But I think that you just have to to realize that it's a learning process and don't be too tough, hard on yourself and believe that you can always improve. And sometimes taking one step back can actually mean that you're two steps forward as long as you learn from it. So I think at least for me to learn how to deal with failure in the way of if I lose a match has been very important to not just be disappointed, but that's actually when you learn why you lose. If you win, then you're just happy that you won sometimes. And you're just walking around and everything is great. But if you lose, that's when you see the character of the players and how they overcome those losses. So I think, at least for myself, that's something I would have wanted to learn at an earlier age. Fantastic. So some awesome advice for everyone out there listening. Now, if there are listeners out there who would like to keep up with how you're doing, so how your training is going, how your league matches are going and your tournaments, is there a way that they can follow to see how you're doing? On my Instagram page, you can follow me. It's just my name, Felix Burstedt. There I'm trying at the moment actually to post a bit more on my life on the tour and, and also how I'm practicing and stuff. So fantastic. So we'll put Felix's Instagram handle below in the description so that you can easily follow him and track his progress. So Felix, 
from Henry and I and everyone at the Badminton Podcast and all the listeners out there all over the world, we just want to say thank you so much for being an awesome guest and providing us with some great knowledge on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks. So for everyone out there listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you do share this podcast with your friends and family, your teammates and your badminton community because I think there's so much valuable information in here, especially that little framework for assessing your matches after you've played them to really dig down into those emotions as to why you make the choices that you actually do make on court. Because I think it's a very complex subject, but I think you'll be very interested. Sorry, you'll be very interested and it'll be very interesting to see what the underlying reasons there are that you're making certain choices on the court. So make sure you do that and listen to that part again if you missed it. So if you want to get in contact with us, so Henry and I, you can connect with us on our social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and on our website, volantware.com. Instagram, also we have our handle, The Badminton Podcast with no spaces. So feel free to reach out. We do receive a lot of questions from people in the badminton community all over the world. So make sure you do ask any questions about any topics related to badminton and we'll try to get them answered either by ourselves or by one of our guests who is quite often a professional player or a coach or an official. So there's lots of advice to give here. Okay, so before we let you go, I found a Conor McGregor quote that I think Jeff might have been looking for earlier in the episode and the quote goes like this. There's no talent here. This is hard work. This is an obsession. Talent does not exist. We are all equal as human beings. You could be anyone if you put in the time. You'll reach the top and that's that. I'm not talented. I'm obsessed. Is that what you were looking for? I'm obsessed. Yeah, I'm obsessed. Mm, Yeah, similar theme, but I heard it on an interview. I couldn't actually find the exact quote, but yeah, it's the same theme. So in the meantime, take care of yourself, keep playing, keep sharing your love of badminton with everyone that you know, and we'll see you on the episode. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Felix. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Volantware, the most versatile badminton apparel you'll ever own.